who created the world, showed humankind that we could not rule the world justly on our own, right? Nice. Showed us that we could not rule the world justly on our own, and then he made a promise to save the world. That promise was fulfilled in Jesus Christ, and now God is separating his sheep from the goats. Uh, in our time, the gospel is spreading. People are responding to the gospel in either a positive way or a negative way. They're either accepting Christ or rejecting Christ, and the end result is a world that is redeemed, a world that is perfect, a world where there is no more sickness, nor pain, nor death. Uh, this is a good story. Uh, God is a good, good Father. He is a good God. He is the hero of the story. The part of that story that appeals most to us is salvation, right? Personal, uh, individual salvation, uh, the opportunity we have to trust in Christ and get to heaven. Uh, I want to ask you uh, right now collectively to explain salvation to me. What is it? So we're going to spend the entire semester in John chapter 3, which is the most popular chapter in the Bible about salvation. Uh, you all know John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. Yes, so we're going to look at this verse, um, but we're going to look at the entire chapter, John chapter 3, and we're going to see together uh, what salvation is, uh, why salvation is, and why we would even want something like salvation. Um, I fear that too many times we just assume that people know why they would want to know God, why they would want something like salvation. And uh, we, don't, we don't take the time to make sure people actually know the benefits, the good that comes from salvation as a whole. So today I'm going to walk through uh, John chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 21. And then in the weeks following this week as we meet together, we're going to take a small section of that. We're going to look at that small section. And through that small section of John chapter 3, we're going to look at the biblical story, uh, to see what salvation is, to see what God has been doing with particular regard to salvation uh, over the course of time since the beginning of the story and what he will be doing uh, in the end of the story when it comes to uh, personal salvation. And we are going to see why, like why God cares to save us and what from. All right. So John chapter 3 um, provides some context here. Uh, John's gospel is unlike uh, the other three gospels, uh, which is Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, those are called synoptic gospels, just means gospels that are like each other. Uh, they are written for the purpose of uh, proving to people that Jesus was the Messiah, giving a historical account. John's gospel is much more uh, philosophical. Uh, it is very much more emotional than the other Gospels. Uh, John's language is much more artistic than the other writers of the New Testament. And so studying John's Gospel is different from studying other books in the New Testament and the other Gospels. Uh, because when John writes, uh, when he uses language, uh, his language is really uh, much more abstract than other um, authors use in the New Testament. 
Um, it's much more artistic. He cares a lot more about beauty. So there's a popular passage in John's Gospel uh, where uh, Peter has denied Christ, but now Christ is resurrected. Jesus is about to ascend into heaven, and he comes to Peter. And he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, I love you. Again, Jesus asks, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, I love you. And Jesus asked him a third time, like, Peter, do you love me? And Peter replies, yes, I love you. And in this passage, in the Greek, that's the original language that the book of John was written in, um, Jesus uses two different words for love, agape and phileo. And a lot of people, and perhaps you've heard this at some point, uh, will take that and they will assign different meanings to the different words, saying this is one kind of love, this is another kind of love, and in some context that is true, like if we were reading Paul, who is very precise, very exact with his language, it would be good to teach that from the text. But John's use of language is much more abstract and much more creative, much more artistic. And so, when he's writing his gospel, there in particular, he's creating context and beauty in the words when he uses the different words meaning the same love that he's referring to. And so we can just say love. And we don't have that in English. We can't recognize the beauty in English. But John cares about that in the Greek. We see that in the Gospel of John. Uh, we see that in First, Second, and Third John. Uh, and we see it very, very clearly in the book of Revelation, which John also wrote. And so when we look at John's Gospel, when we look at John chapter 3, we have to keep that in mind, that John isn't as precise in his language as, say, Paul's letters to the different churches. Also, in John chapter 3, we're introduced to a character named Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a Pharisee. Uh, he believes in God. Uh, he believes that God will redeem his people. Uh, Pharisees believed that there is an afterlife. Uh, they believe that people could, in our language, get to heaven. Uh, the Pharisees believed that God had chosen a particular people for his glory, uh, the Jews. Uh, they believed that the Jews were God's chosen nation. Uh, they believed that there would be a Messiah who would come and deliver uh, the people of God from worldly kings. They believed that a Messiah would come and bring peace and justice to the world. Jesus, in his theology, would have been classified with the Pharisees, but in his practice, he was very, very different from the Pharisees. Uh, Nicodemus is a Pharisee, but he's not just a Pharisee. He is one of the leading Pharisees. Uh, he has a high status in Jewish society, uh, and he cares a lot about getting the Bible right. He is, in this text, classified as the teacher of Israel, which means the most prominent teacher of the nation of Israel, which is really, really important. We get to the first verse, those verses 1 and 2, and we see John writing about Nicodemus. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, Rabbi is a word that means teacher, Rabbi, teacher, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Nicodemus uses the plural, we, which means he's part of a group that has been watching Jesus, and they see Jesus doing these signs, and this group has 
come to a consensus that Jesus must be from God because only God has the power to heal blindness and to uh, give people who can't walk the ability to walk to heal crippled hands to bring people back from the dead. Like only God can do this. And they've been seeing Jesus do these things. And Nicodemus says, Nobody can do that unless he has the power of God in him. So we know that you are from God, which means we need to listen to you, right? So he says, we know you are from God. Nicodemus does not ask a question. He leaves it there. He's come to Jesus under the cover of night, and he's just said, hey, we know you're from God because you do some really, really cool miracles. And Jesus answered and said, Jesus then begins teaching Nicodemus. Uh, Jesus doesn't ask Nicodemus a question. Nicodemus has not asked Jesus a question. I don't know what Nicodemus was expecting, but Jesus begins teaching Nicodemus. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. How many of you have heard that language, you need to be born again? Have you heard that language? Okay, if you spend much time in church, particularly more traditional churches, you'll hear this language. You need to be born again. Son, are you born again? It's, it's almost like old people language to mean, hey, do you know Jesus? Have you been saved? Is what people mean by that. Have you been born again? And so we hear this language, born again, and it sounds really, really weird. And I'm going to show you in a minute. It sounds really weird to Nicodemus as well. But Jesus said, you must be born again, whatever that means. And we'll find out as we move through the text, right? Whatever that means, you must be born again before you can even see the kingdom of God. So at the beginning of tonight, I asked you if you know what salvation is. I asked you to define salvation for me. Uh, what do we need to be saved from? What are we saved to? Why are we saved? What is this thing called salvation? And the reality of the matter is, according to Jesus' own words, he says, unless you have something different happen to you, unless you are born again, the kingdom of heaven what God is doing, it's invisible to you. It cannot be seen by you whatsoever. Like, you can't reach out and grab hold of it. You can't want it because you have no idea it's there. And Jesus is telling this to Nicodemus. And he says, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven and you will remain completely and utterly unaware of its existence. That sounds kind of hopeless, doesn't it? Coming from the mouth of Jesus, like, hey, guess what? There's no hope. You can't get to a place called heaven because you can't see it, right? Have you ever tried to get somewhere you can't see? What would it be like if you got up to drive to church in the morning and you just closed your eyes? It, it, it wouldn't, it wouldn't work, right? You can't get to a place that you cannot see, right? You cannot get to a place you cannot see. This is what Jesus is saying. You can't even see the kingdom of heaven. Um, and we're going to learn why. Nicodemus said to him, he didn't get it either, right? This sounded completely ridiculous to him. It sounds completely ridiculous to us to born again. That sounds stupid, okay? But how can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Like, I've already done that already been there. I've already been born. I've, 
I've been on this earth for a long time, Jesus. What do you mean be born again? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb, and he cannot be born, can he? And then Jesus reveals a truth related to this being born again that that makes the idea come to life. Truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now, if you don't know, when a baby is about to be born, something happens with the mom. We call it her water breaking, right? And so that has happened forever, okay? Every single woman since the dawn of time that has given birth, her water breaks before she gives birth. So Jesus says, one must be born of water. Nicodemus is thinking, check, you know, that, that happened, okay? But then he says, and the Spirit. Unless you are born of water and the Spirit, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And so there's this second birth Jesus begins talking about. Like we are born physically into this world, we also must be born spiritually. He says of the Spirit, right? We also must be born spiritually into this world. With our physical eyes, we see what is physical. Before we come out of our mother's womb, we cannot see the world. We are born into the world, and then we begin to perceive and experience the world, living in the world. That's life of the flesh being born of the flesh being born of water. And then there's this other birth that happens. It's a spiritual birth. And before this spiritual birth, we're unable to see the kingdom of heaven. After the spiritual birth, we're able to see the kingdom of heaven. But not only see the kingdom of heaven, Jesus also says, enter into the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And so there's a spiritual birth that happens. Now we're going to learn a lot more about what Jesus means when he says the kingdom of God, uh, moving through the weeks following this week. Um, But suffice it to say tonight that when Jesus refers to the kingdom of God, he's referring to a kingdom that is ushered in by the coming of the Messiah, a kingdom of peace and prosperity and justice. And he's referring to more than just that getting to heaven. He's referring to the saints, his people, his chosen people, inheriting the earth. And Nicodemus knows what the kingdom of God is, right? He's a Pharisee. He knows the Old Testament. He believes the Old Testament. He, he knows that the Messiah will come and bring peace and justice and prosperity to the earth, and he will free his people from all oppression. He will save them. But Nicodemus is thinking only on a very physical and material level, and Jesus is talking about a lot more than that. Uh, Jesus is talking about not only physical and material salvation of the world. He's talking about the spiritual salvation of human beings, individuals, from something very oppressive called sin. And Nicodemus does not have this in mind. So there is this second birth, and we're going to learn more about that. Jesus, trying to get Nicodemus to understand, right? Of course, Jesus knows that Nicodemus may not understand this Totally, but he begins teaching Nicodemus like the nature of the spiritual birth. And he says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So, you're born of water, of the flesh, 
that which is born of flesh is flesh. You see what is flesh. Uh, you are material. You see what is material. You experience what is material. You cannot see the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God is spiritual. But then Jesus says, but that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So being born again, at least, is having some moment of epiphany where we realize, hey, there's, there's more than just this physical material world that I'm experiencing. There's something beyond what I can see with my eyes and feel with my, with my, with my hands and hear with, with my ears, right? There's something beyond that. But I think it's more than just an epiphany because Jesus is talking like once we are born of the Spirit, like, like there's actual life in the Spirit. There's actually like a kind of relationship there with God the Father. So that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows. He begins describing the, the work of the Spirit and the work of those who are being born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. So he tells Nicodemus straight, like Nicodemus being a good Pharisee, would believe that most, if not all, Jews would be saved, would be what Jesus is, is calling born again, right? But then Jesus, talking to Nicodemus, says, the wind, you feel the effects of it, right? You can see what it does, but you can't like physically see it. And this is an illustration that represents those who are being born again. You, Nicodemus, cannot determine who will be born again. And it's, it's probably not going to be all the Jews that you think. And we know because of the gospel and Acts and because we are in this room now that it includes Gentiles, which Nicodemus probably isn't thinking about, right? He's telling Nicodemus, it's, it's not for you to decide who will be born again. That is a work of the Spirit. The Spirit is the one who awakens people. The Spirit is the one who causes people to be born again. The Spirit is the source. You can't see the Spirit. How many of you have seen the Holy Spirit moving around? Not me. All right. We think that, whoa. We think that'd probably be like weird, right? We think, we think that would probably be weird if we just saw the Holy, the Holy Ghost in the house. We'd probably start trying to exercise something or, uh, you know, get rid of demons or whatever, or, or we'd automatically be like, poltergeist. Okay. That, no, that's not, that's not the way it is, okay? Um, the Holy Spirit is invisible to, the human eye, okay? Invisible. Uh, we cannot see it, we cannot perceive it, but we can see the effects of the Holy Spirit, which are amazing. But Jesus wants Nicodemus to know this. The Holy Spirit is the one doing the work. The Holy Spirit, since the Holy Spirit is being um, described using this wind imagery, we can put Holy Spirit in there. The Holy Spirit blows where He wishes, and you hear the sound of the Holy Spirit, but do not know where the Holy Spirit comes from and where the Holy Spirit is, is going. It's not for us to determine the work of the Holy Spirit. And this is a mystery. Um, I personally want John to go into way more detail 
here because I I want to know exactly I want to know I want to know the the particulars of exactly how the Holy Spirit is working and and what's being done and what conditions uh, by which the Holy Spirit like works in people and causes people to be born again. But but John doesn't do that. John leaves it there. Uh, John in his gospel, remember, he's way more abstract than Paul. There's a reason Paul probably never wrote a gospel. Is because he probably wouldn't have been able to resist the urge to commentate on every single little thing because he does that. And very long run-on sentences in his letters. Okay? But John doesn't. He, he leaves it there. He quotes Jesus and he leaves it. And Jesus, for whatever reason, doesn't feel the need to tell Nicodemus all the little particulars. Just like Nicodemus, you can't see it. You're not going to be able to figure it out you will probably waste your mind away trying to know the inner workings of God. He is beyond you. You can't see the Holy Spirit. You don't know the conditions by which the Holy Spirit causes people to be born again. You don't know who will be born again. You can't determine that. You can't instruct the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is beyond you, Nicodemus. And everyone who is born of the Spirit is born of the Spirit because of the Holy Spirit's work, the Holy Spirit's goes where the Holy Spirit wishes to go and works how the Holy Spirit wants to work, right? And he leaves it there. And there's a lot of mystery there and a lot of questions that I want answered because John just just leaves this here. But he just leaves it here, so we're just going to leave it here. Nicodemus does reply, though, and he says, How can these things be? And Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things? Okay, you're the teacher of Israel, Nicodemus, yet you do not understand the things that I am teaching. How can you not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you that we speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen, and you do not accept our testimony. And if I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? So Jesus here plainly says, I'm not telling you the heavenly things. I'm not telling you the things that are truly spiritual. I'm I'm telling you things that are very much fleshly, things that can be observed with your own eyes from, from the material because you were born as flesh. Your eyes are flesh. You see flesh. So you see the effects of the Spirit even though you cannot see the Spirit. Do not be surprised when I tell you you must be born again. This is a truth that according to Jesus is understandable even by those who have not been born again. Uh, you need something more than the the physical eyes that you have and the physical experiences that you have. Uh, I think ultimately uh, it's gonna it's gonna be common sense for us. Like we do, we need more. Uh, we do want to reach higher. But Nicodemus isn't getting it. Everything Nicodemus is thinking about and knowing and teaching, it's all physical. It's all material. And it has to do with that aspect of the kingdom of God. That doesn't mean Nicodemus' teachings are terrible, right? It just means there's something he hasn't seen. Um, And part of that is because he chooses not to see it uh, for fear of persecution or whatever from his fellow Jews. Uh, I don't know. Um, But then Jesus says, like, if you don't even believe what is plain to the flesh, how are you going to believe if I do reveal more to you? So there's a reason Jesus didn't go, Further, there's a reason he didn't tell Nicodemus all of the particulars because Nicodemus wasn't ready for all the 
particulars, and someone who doesn't know Jesus isn't ready for like deep, deep, deep theology, the things of heaven, so to speak, because it's hard to see that when we don't even believe, hey, I, I need something more than myself. I, there is a spiritual birth to be had. Jesus says, no one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Now, this is really interesting to me because it means, uh, first of all, Nicodemus hasn't ascended to heaven. He cannot see the kingdom of God, right? But it also means that no other Pharisee can see the kingdom of heaven, has ascended to heaven. Uh, It also means that no one in history, no one in the Old Testament has ascended to heaven, has been to heaven. Um, Jesus is the only one. The only one who had ever been to heaven with God the Father. The only one who came here from heaven in order to tell people about heaven. Have you ever read, how many of you just read the Old Testament for fun? Cool. Yeah, very cool. Alright, if, if you do read the Old Testament, pay attention and count how many times people talk about getting to heaven in the Old Testament. I'll give you a huge clue. Zero. Zero times in the Old Testament is getting to heaven ever mentioned. And here we see why. Jesus says people couldn't see it. People, people didn't know about this. This is a, a part of salvation that I've been hinting at for a long time, but people didn't know about it. People couldn't see it. And though I gave people hints of what the kingdom of God would be like, there would be peace and justice upon the earth, now I'm bringing the fullness of revelation. So we couldn't see heaven, but Jesus came from heaven and stood before people to teach people. So he's like, Nicodemus, essentially what he's saying, Nicodemus, it's okay that you can't see the kingdom of God. I understand that you can't see the kingdom of God. That's why I came here to tell you about the kingdom of God and how one will come to see the kingdom of God. Because when Jesus is teaching this, no one has seen the kingdom of God. Why hadn't anyone seen the kingdom of God before Jesus came? As Moses lifted up, Jesus continues, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. So Jesus came. Instead of seeing heaven, people will see Jesus. Heaven is invisible. You can't see it. You don't have those types of eyes, right? But then there's this. But Jesus came so that those who look at Jesus, believe in Jesus, have faith in Jesus, will have eternal life. This seems to mean that they get to see the kingdom of heaven and get to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus goes from being real ethereal and mysterious and uh, using language that just sounds kind of ridiculous to us because the idea of being born again is weird. And he says, it's okay that you don't understand that. Look to me as I am lifted up. He was referring to the cross. He hasn't been crucified yet, but he will be. Look to me as I was lifted up. And all those who look to me they will receive eternal life. They will, they will be being born again. Even though it's a mystery to you and you don't know what that means, 
Trust me when I say those who look at me are being born again. They will see the kingdom of heaven. They will enter the kingdom of heaven. That's what Jesus is getting at here, which is really kind of amazing. And then we get to the most popular verse in context, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And so he says, it's okay that you don't see the kingdom of heaven. It's okay that you don't have these spiritual eyes yet. They haven't been given to you yet. You haven't been born again. I just know this, that when I am lifted up, you have faith in me and you will have eternal life. Why? God so loved the world. A world that could not see him, right? A world that could not ascend to heaven. A world that cannot be perfect. People who cannot be perfect. uh, People who could not achieve salvation for themselves by their own works, God loved them. Even the New Testament even tells us that while we were his enemies, Christ died for us. And that's what's happening in the Gospels. That's what's happening when it comes to salvation. God so loved the world that he gave his son. His son came to this earth, right? to reveal the truth of Jesus' own words when he stands before Pilate. He says, I've come to reveal the truth, right? And he came to actually atone for human sin, die on a cross, a sacrificial death. That's what he means by being lifted up, like the serpent in the wilderness, when all the people looked at the serpent and poison, the venom was taken from their their veins, right? Uh, After they looked at this snake, he's like, those who look at me when I'm lifted up on the cross, the venom, sin, will also be removed from their veins. They will be born again. They will have eternal life. And this is a promise, right? Um, Jesus, after telling us what is spiritual, the spiritual reality behind it all, like, if you're not born again, you can't even, get, you can't even see the kingdom of heaven, right? And then we don't understand that, and that's okay, Then he says, here's the evidence for you. Those of you who believe in me, my sacrifice, my crucifixion, you have eternal life. There is no scenario in which somebody wants to be saved, but God doesn't save them, where somebody doesn't look to the cross and Jesus doesn't save them. Like, no, all of those, it's the promise, right? All of those who look to the cross, who look at Jesus, who believe in him, They will be saved. They will have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. And here, the word world, the word cosmos in the Greek, and it refers to the whole of creation, the stars, the planets, outer space, the planet Earth, our sun, the the moon, like Jesus is saving it all through His death and resurrection. And our personal salvation means something in light of all of that. Those who believe in Him will be saved along with the world to inherit the world. And remember what Jesus taught in His Sermon on the Mount, right? The meek shall inherit the earth. That's the promise. That's always what the plan is. Uh, So this is what God is doing. 18, he who believes in him is not judged, but he who does not believe in him has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the one and only 
son, and this, I think, is where I'm going to end tonight uh, because it would take us too much time to get all the way through verse 21, but we're going to be looking at this in the coming weeks, and we will get all the way there together. But I want you to see this before we go. Like, he who believes in Jesus is not judged. That means if your belief is in Jesus, there is never a time when you will go before the judgment throne of Christ, and there's never a time when he will ask you, why did you do that, dummy? What does the text say? Is not judged. Period. If our belief is in Christ, if our faith is in Christ, we are not judged no matter what we have done. His blood covers us, right? He changes our hearts. We are born again. We see the kingdom of heaven. We care about stuff other than just satisfying our own selfish desires and, and, and pride and seeking power and wealth and self-advancement. We, we care about other types of things like serving others, like considering others more important than ourselves, the things that really breed justice and peace upon, upon the earth and in, our, and, in our, and in our hearts and bring joy to our lives. So there's, there's no scenario in which those who believe in Christ will ever, will ever be presented with a list of their wrongs because Jesus has already promised he who believes in him is not judged. But he who does not believe, he says, has been judged already, which is interesting wording to me because it's past tense. Judged already. Now, Jesus didn't come into the world to judge, right? He's not here to condemn anybody. So if you've ever heard that, it's true, though it doesn't always mean what people say that it means, right? Um, he's not interested in condemning anybody because those who don't believe in him are already condemned. And Jesus even tells us on what basis they have been condemned. And so some of you have heard and even asked about, like, if God chose us from the foundation of the world, does that mean he chose some for salvation and in the same way he chose others to send directly to hell before the foundation of the world and, like, nobody even has a chance anyway? Like, some of you have asked me that question. And the answer in this text is, no, that's not the way God works. Jesus gives us the basis by which people have been judged already or are already condemned because they have not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This means, at this point in history, everybody, everybody was going toward hell. By their own works, the wages of their own sin is death. They've made the choice to promote self, Right? to act according to their own desires, to act according to their own pride, to seek self-advancement, to not care about the things of God. But how can they care about the things of God if they can't even see the kingdom of heaven? Right? Nicodemus is in this category as he's listening to Jesus, and I can just feel his heart like drop, like, you just told me I wasn't born again, and now you're telling me I'm like going to hell. Jesus, what? Like, why are you telling me these things? But the reality of the matter is, Jesus has made, has made himself visible. And that those running into the mouth of hell, living life for self, get to see Jesus. And it is true that upon seeing Jesus, they are invited into the kingdom of heaven. And many people will reject that invitation. They will choose not to live in a world that is 
uh, filled with justice and peace and mercy. They will choose not to have peace in their souls. They will choose not to have joy and contentment in life. Instead, they will continue to advance self, live by their own selfishness and pride and continue to hurt other people in the process. Okay? But many people... Nicodemus included, as we read later in the New Testament, will accept that invitation to come into the kingdom of heaven. They will place their belief in Jesus. And not knowing the mystery of how it all works and exactly what the Spirit does in causing people to be born again and exactly when regeneration happens, if you even know what that term means or refers to, like despite all of that, there's a promise. If I place my trust in Jesus, if I look at him as he is on the cross, he promises that I'll be in his kingdom, and that's enough for me, right? Well, that's enough. We, we can try to know more than that, but that's what is sufficient. Belief in Christ is sufficient. It is the sufficient evidence that we are saved and have eternal life.